Uh, 39 of 40 of the miracles that happen in Acts happen in the marketplace, and they are happening now. So uh, you are, have this, uh, this incredible opportunity to be used by God. Hi, and welcome to Season 3 of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast. When we first started the podcast, I wasn't sure whether we'd get to Episode 3, let alone the Season 3. But we started with just a heart to encourage leaders during the pandemic and to deliver encouraging and empowering content that got under the skin of the lives of leaders from all sectors and all spheres of influence. We've been blessed over the last 18 months or so to spend some time with an incredible mix of leaders across the globe, all sharing life stories and insights into leadership. We always wanted the podcast to have a breadth of diversity in terms of thinking, experience, worldviews, and of course, gender. With this in mind, we launched season two with a clear focus on women in leadership. Again, we had some incredible guests from different sectors, different countries, and we've heard some really amazing testimonies of the life and growth of these people's leadership. If you haven't caught up on some of the episodes in season two or even season one, please do so. You'll be blessed for sure. Now for season three. We have some changes this season. Firstly, season three is focused on entrepreneurs and investors. We want to hear the stories and insights of Christian entrepreneurs and investors who have all built, been involved with, or invested in businesses with a deeper purpose. How have they seen God work in them and through them? What are their insights in this area? How do they see investment and stewardship? So many questions to unpack, as well as hearing the life journeys and life stories of our incredible guests. Alongside this new focus, we have a new partner. This season, we're privileged to partner with Stewardship, And our partnership with Stewardship is not just about sponsorship, but it's about working together to empower a generation of investors and entrepreneurs to explore generosity, stewardship and finance. Alongside the podcast, we'll actually be running some events together. So stay tuned and we hope to connect with you as we journey together through this season. As always, please subscribe, share and leave a review. God bless. Henry Kaysner, such an absolute privilege to be with you. Well, this afternoon in the UK and this morning where you are. So thank you for making the time this morning. Dan, thanks for having me on. It's a great treat. So Henry, for the very few people that listen to this that don't know who you are, and there might be some people, tell us, give us, a, give us the highlights. Give... know who I am. I don't think it's the reverse. <laughs> You're way too kind. Uh, listen, I think all roads lead somewhere. Well, I know all roads lead to Christ, but let's not go there right now. Um, tell us a little bit about your leadership life and tell us a bit about yourself and what your leadership life looks like. My leadership life. Um, well, right now, in terms of where God has me leading with some others, is in uh, uh, an, actually a number of different things, mostly on the ministry side, of course. My, my chief activities are are in working with others, with Ruben, with Justin, and others, uh, ministries that are called Faith Driven Entrepreneur to encourage Christ following entrepreneurs to live out their God God given call to create and their identity in Christ. We also have a ministry called Faith Driven Investor uh, that was birthed out of Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Later this year, actually January 2023, we'll launch a new ministry called Faith Driven Giving. Uh, to help Christ followers understand where they might give in a way that participates in the work that God is doing in the world. Uh, we, uh, I live in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. We have a ministry here called Generosity Barrier that uh, that I lend some time to. And 
And then I founded a, an investment fund with some others called Sovereign's Capital that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs around the world. And um, I, I spent some time on that too, and just a very little time in a company that uh, I helped to co-found called Bandwidth. And uh, and then I lead, what else do I lead? And I lead in my family. I'm married to Kimberly. I have three boys, 16, 18, and 20. And then some other things uh, around, we, we started a ministry here called Inklings, too, for Christ followers in the barrier uh, that were started out of the original Inklings, which your audience will probably be well familiar with. The C.S. Lewis and Jared Tolkien and that gang that got together at the Eagle and Child in Oxford for so long. Amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Wow. So what are you doing in your spare time? Yeah. I Well, I do. I love, uh, I love, I love being with my boys and my wife. I love mountain biking. There's some great mountain biking where I live and that's great fun. And we also love to ski and love to travel. And, uh, and then today without at the, at the risk of time guarding this, uh, I love watching the university of North Carolina sports, you know, in the, in, uh, in the U S college sports is a big deal. And, right. uh, the University of North Carolina, where Michael Jordan went to school, is a is a big deal for our family. My oldest goes to university there, and and uh, today is the day of the national championship. So I can't help but think about that. That will be doing something. I'll be doing this evening while I, I watch the national championship, and I also watch my middle son play lacrosse. And so I love watching my kids play sports. Wow, that's a long winded answer. My next my next answer won't be as long winded. No, that's great. That's awesome. So. Lots of sports today then. I like it. I like it. My kids are the same. My kids are slightly younger. I've got a 12-year-old and 10-year-old boys. And they're in the, in England, we play rugby a lot. So oh, yeah. My 12-year-old's yeah. uh, big into his rugby and his cricket. And my 10-year-old's uh, big into football or soccer, as you guys would call it. So Well, you know, yeah. England's got a great national lacrosse team. Uh, lacrosse is really? picking up in England. Uh-huh. Yeah, England's got one of the top teams in the world. And, and the sport of lacrosse uh, and lacrosse is such a great, great sport it's growing in England. And, uh, and your two boys should check it out. You get to beat each other with sticks. It's, you can't beat it. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm, uh, they would love that. that they would be all over that. So, so Henry, just, you know, you kind of, you, 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 you covered over, you know, um, a huge ecosystem that's being created with, with, with faith driven entrepreneurs and, and FDI and, you know, and then faith driven giving. How did that come about? I mean, that, I mean, you know, for those of us in the entrepreneurial space, let's be honest, most of us have heard of it, engaged with it, blessed by it, you know, incredible content, incredible programs. You know, it's, it's, it's brilliant just as, you know, it's inspiring in, in every way. How did that start? Um, well, thank you for the encouragement. Um, it started uh, based in my, uh, well, it, it, everything's been this natural progression with these different incremental steps. But I came to faith at age 28. I had had a, a short career on Wall Street, and uh, and then came to faith and started a uh, started a telecom company called Bandwidth, with had which had the foundational values of faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And through the grace of God, that's become successful. And uh, along the way, we came to understand, of course, we have this opportunity to love on our partners, our vendors, our customers, our employees in a way that points to God. And what does it look like to encourage other christ following entrepreneurs to pursue the same type of just reality, knowing that we had made a lot of mistakes in the early days and being a Christ-following leader, uh, and then through the grace of God, it had, had some great successes as well. And so what does it look like to be able to encourage the broader ecosystem 
of Christian entrepreneurs. We like calling them faith-driven entrepreneurs because it's a descriptor that begs the question, which is, what drives you? And we all have a faith in something. Um, is it a Christian faith? Is it a Muslim faith? Is it a uh, what kind of a faith is it? Or for Christians, is it a faith that if we work really hard, it'll work out? And we can do these things under our own power. What is our faith? Because there's a lots of complexities and nuance within a Christian faith, and a lot of bad theology, a lot of sin, a lot of sin in my life that kind of occludes um, how I'd otherwise just really know God. So the idea is to have a ministry to be able to encourage Christ-following entrepreneurs to be able to really understand how God might use them. Number one, that entrepreneurship can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't need to be. What does it look like right. when a community of us come together to encourage each other? What are some common principles that we might apply and be encouraged by? And then um, and then the other ministries have just proceeded from there. Um, but gosh, it's, it's, it's uh, bandwidth... Uh, has had some great success. We have about 1,400 employees and are publicly traded. But what I do now is infinitely more fun than telecom uh, because we get a chance. And you might be thinking, your audience might be thinking, wow, that's a pretty low bar. And maybe for them it is. And even for me, it is a little bit of a low bar. But I got to tell you, it's just so much fun to work with business owners that are serious about their faith from all over the world. Ruben and I, Ruben's our director of international strategy. And I, Ruben and I got a great chance to spend time uh, this past fall in Romania, and then we went down to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and all over the world, God is lifting up his people in the marketplace, and it is amazing. A good friend of mine likes to say this expression, which I will now co-opt it uh, as my own, <laughs> which is, Aslan is on the move, and he is, and it's happening in the marketplace, and it's super cool to be around for it. I love that. I love that. So how do, how do people how do people connect into FDE and FDI? How does that look practically? Well, it looks a lot of different ways. Some people will hear our podcast. We have a, we have a blog, we have a podcast, we have an annual conference. Uh, we have a uh, we also have this group series that we do, and a lot of people will find out about the group series through their local church. Uh, one of the marks of a faith driven entrepreneur. We have these twelve marks of a faith driven entrepreneur because we want to be a decentralized movement working with lots of different ministries around the world. But there's a common DNA to what God is doing through all of us, and includes things like the call to create and the identity in Christ. Well, we have this video series that goes through these different marks, and we try really hard to partner with the local church. So lots of people will find out about us because they'll see uh, something in their bulletin. They'll talk about their church having this this uh, series for entrepreneurs and uh, for business owners, similar to Alpha. Alpha partners, of course, with the local church. We try to do the same. That's how people engage. Um, and uh, uh, a bunch of different ways. Hopefully, hopefully, of course, it's word of mouth. Hopefully, when an entrepreneur gets, uh, gets acquainted with this type of subject matter and looks at the marks and sees some of the content, they're like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is really helpful for me. And this is something I can take to my church. I can bring to my community. I can tell my friends about it. And that's the best. The best yeah, is awesome. when you hear about it from a friend. Right, right. And and kind of, so putting myself in the shoes of an entrepreneur now, you know, one of the, you know, you mentioned a couple of things uh, along the journey, along the story so far. Entrepreneurship can be lonely. There's def different def definition of terms. You know, what is faith-driven, a Christian, a kingdom? We use lots of different terms, right? You know, different terminology, different theological backgrounds. And what you guys are doing is crystallizing that into, into a mission and into some content and a program. But if I'm a younger entrepreneur and I'm 
looking in that investment space and I'm looking for my opportunity and my big break. What are you saying to me? What are you? What, what, so let me ask you that on two levels. One, what are you saying to me personally as a younger entrepreneur? Number two, what is it you're looking for in, in companies that you invest in? Yeah, well, the first one of the younger entrepreneur is, uh, number one, your work really matters to God. Um, and that sounds pretty basic. And yet, um, a lot of times it's not. A lot of times business owners or entrepreneurs think that the church sees them as an opportunity to, to fund missions. And that while that's definitely the case, the bigger, much, much bigger picture is that God is using entrepreneurs and business owners uh, to redeem and restore all things. And, um, and are, we are instruments of bringing his kingdom about under his power for his glory. It happens anytime an entrepreneur sees something that is broken uh, in society, broken in the marketplace, sees opportunities. Uh, as we uh, make things uh, better in the marketplace, we are getting that much closer to the new kingdom. It's, it's it, On one hand, it's a return to the garden, the way that things were. Um, but then there's also the concept, of course, of this new kingdom. N.T. Wright talks about it a lot, surprised by hope. Yeah. That opportunity that we have to participate in this redemptive work. So number one, your work matters. It's beyond just funding uh, the work of ministries. Uh, 39 of 40 of the miracles that happen in Acts happen in the marketplace, and they are happening now. So uh, you are, have this, uh, this incredible opportunity to be used by God to bring about his kingdom. That's number one. The second one is that um, uh, be careful as you get started, because as you have success, great success or great failure, you might get tempted to think that your identity is as a successful entrepreneur or as a not successful entrepreneur. No, no, no. When God looks right. at you, he sees his son. You cannot earn your own salvation. And that's a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs, which is that, you know, I'm, you know, my identity is wrapped up in being a successful business owner. And when my parents call me up and they say, hey, we're so proud of you. We saw your name written in the paper or something like that. It's insidious. It just creeps in. And then, um, and then of course, it, it doesn't last forever because no business grows at 20% month over month forever. It doesn't happen. And so if we don't understand that we can't earn our own salvation, if we don't understand that there's a God who loves us and that uh, all we have to do is to accept this free gift of life and we can spend eternity with God, which starts now, of course, and enjoy his love now. If we lose sight of that, then we will lose sight of really this nuclear power that may that should make us uh, better than our secular counterparts at being an entrepreneur. If we know that our salvation is assured, if we know that there's a God who loves us, no matter whether we succeed or fail, that gives us this sense of just awe and hopefully gratitude. And then with that, right. like, oh my goodness, this God who loves me so much, he sent his son to die for me. And and I, he's given me this opportunity to take my talents, my giftings and experience is it, it, even though I've, I'm so fallen, I can still go ahead. This is my meaningful form of worship. That should give us this nuclear sense of power that should fuel our ability to create products and services that are redemptive. Uh, it should fuel our ability to walk in the office every morning with a sense of joy, out of, again, out of gratitude. And like, I'm participating in the work that God is doing through success, through failure, but we're, we're, we're endeavoring to commune with the living God today. And I can love on my partners, my vendors, my customers, my employees in a way that is that 
that, that hints at something, and maybe it's more than hints, maybe proclaims something greater than just the manufacture and distribution of widgets. Awesome. That, that last couple of minutes there, Henry, is a soundbite I think every entrepreneur should listen to when they wake up in the morning and you're feeling a bit down <laughs> and you're feeling like, have I got a purpose? Have I got a mandate? What's my mission? I've lost my why. That's it right there. I love it. I love the fact you brought that back to our identity and who we are, not just what we do. I think it's very easy to find validation in what we do rather than who we are. And I always say to entrepreneurs, what you're doing comes out of who you are and it's a reflection of who you are. And then how you do it, it comes out of the values that you carry, you know, and I Indeed. think that's incredible what you've shared there. And I think one of the opportunities we have is to reflect a whole new set of values and a whole new set of principles that you cannot find in a, in a, just in, in, a, in a general open market economy, you know, and I think that so often we, we underplay the value and the, and the reality of, of, of God's word in, in our business, you know, and we try and sugarcoat it with nice things, but his values and his ways are timeless. And I, and I absolutely love what you're sharing there. Thank you. Yeah, it's brilliant. So let me, the second part of that question, you know, what is it, what is it you guys are, are looking for in those, in those, those businesses? What is, what is the spark that you see, you know, in terms of those, those businesses looking for investment or they're coming through the program and you say, hang on, these guys have got it. Yeah. So great question. Okay, so um, I am asked to speak uh, to MBA programs um, semi-frequently, um, right? And which is funny because I I never got my MBA. I got my uh, undergraduate degree at a, at a small state university, and I always get a kick out of the fact that people ask me for business advice with with these folks who are getting these big time business degrees. So once I get over the kind of the the comedy of it, I say to them, look. Um, I want to help you to distill all that you might learn from your MBA into these two things. All that you need to know about business is the following. Number one, you need to be really good at acquiring customers. You need to be able to bring on board customers and you need to sell them and, um, and bring them on board to your product or service. Pretty obvious. Number two, you need to be able to keep your customers. And this is something where people start to not intuitively get it. Um, there's been some great research done that talks about the fact that it is five times more cost effective to keep on board a customer that was otherwise going to churn than to go out and buy a new one. There are lots of reasons for that. Uh, one of the things that is not truly appreciated by most entrepreneurs is uh, how difficult, let me say it differently, how uh, fleeting uh, new cohorts of customers are. Here's what I mean by that. When you take in venture capital or when you are about growth at all costs, top line growth, you focus on the first part of that transaction, per first part of that reality, which is acquiring customers. You take the money you have, you try to get more customers. The challenge is, is that each additional cohort of customer you bring on board that you sell is least loyal. They're more likely to churn and they're li less likely to refer their friends. If instead you focus on delighting the customer that you have brought on board, if you focus on delighting them, now you have an opportunity to be able to have a stickier customer who then refers in more sticky customers. Right. There's something in that. And I think that it really comes from this concept of 
it comes back to the to the creation mandate that we are to be fruitful and multiply. We're to take dominion over all things, and we're to take this inspiration from a God who worked at six out of seven days, whose work was good. And the Gospel of John says that His work continues to this day. We have to uh, know, of course, because the evidence is all around us that God's work and His creation is a beautiful thing, and so we need our work to do the same. Because we need our customers to be our raving advocates. Okay, those are two important things. Most people miss the delighting customer thing. And so that answer to your question, and I'll pause here for a second. The answer to the question you have is, I like to invest in companies that intuitively get that. I can ask them for information by about churn by cohort. I can ask them about tell me about what patterns you've learned from the customers that you've sold. Maybe you're in software as a service. How many API calls are you getting from your customers? So before they're ready to churn or ready to renew or not renew their contract, how do you know that the service you're delivering is used and valuable by the customer? I'm interested in these companies, again, that have solved a problem in the marketplace, a problem that is felt acutely by their customer, that is valued by their customer. That means their customer is going to stay and their customer is going to refer them out to other people. That's important to me. Okay, so right. That's a, that's a one thing that we believe in that most others may not focus on as much. Okay, so but I want to bridge that illustration. I'm going to go one one level further when I'm talking to these MBA students. I say, listen, if it is difficult for you to just to, just you know think about these two things, you need to know: acquiring customers, retaining customers. Um, the most important thing you learn is really just this one singular thing, which is uh, you need to have an incredible ability to retain your employees. You see, when you have brought on board an employee that is good at acquiring customers, or even better yet, one is good at retaining them, you do not want to lose them. The most expensive, uh, the, the most costly expense that any company, any entrepreneur will go through is in employee turnover and churn. Right. One hand, you can measure it. You can say, well, it's the cost for you know executive placement to find somebody new. There's the cost of ramping somebody else. But no, the real cost is in the loss of this competitive mojo of your employees getting together and eating, sleeping, and drinking the customer's problems and trying to think about how do we solve them. If instead they're thinking about, hey, I wonder where Johnny went. I wonder what kind of signing bonus he got. Then you're not having everybody focused on the company and the mission. And uh, that's just super important. So the other thing is I, we like to see companies that do a great job of retaining and promoting their employees. And, and we want to see a company that's great at retaining and promoting uh, their, so their customers and then their employees. I used to say just employee retention, but then my, my best friend and business partner, David Morgan at Bama said, I hate the word retention. It makes it sound like water retention. <laughs> we got to use the word promotion. So think of it in terms of um, uh, customer promotion. And then, of course, employee promotion. Great. And if you're listening to this and you're a younger entrepreneur or you're someone who's looking at starting a new venture, press rewind and take some serious notes and build your your thinking and your 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 strategy and your planning around that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I don't know it was that good, but uh, but there is a truth in there that I think is really important. I think no, that absolutely. when we when we and you know when we delight our customers. I think that we delight God. I think we please God. I think it becomes a form of worship. I agreed. And I, and I think from my side, you know, I, one of my main businesses is, is a digital agency. And we get startups come to us all the time. And they've got a great big idea. And they've got a great big, you know, this is going to change the world. And you say, well, what do your customers think? Well, 
I don't know, I haven't spoken to them yet. Well, how do you know it's a great idea? And, you know, it's so easy to reason from what we think is right and we reason from, from our experience what we think is a problem. And I love the Steve Jobs quote. He says, you know, you've got to start with a customer experience and work backwards to the technology, you know, rather than working from technology outwards. And I deal a lot with companies that want to build out new tech and they want to build out something that's exciting. And it's exciting to the CEO, but do the customers care? Do your staff care? Does it benefit them? Does it really add value to your, you know, to your supply chain or whoever your target audience is? So what you're saying there, I think, is so appropriate for entrepreneurs across the board. Well, Dan, you're 100% right in pointing that out. And I would attribute, aside from divine providence and our ability to retain our employees, I would uh, I would look at the um, the success that we've had at Bandwidth and Republic Wireless, which is a company we spun out, and say that um, is is based on the fact that we heard back from our customers and were able to um, uh, we're able to innovate very quickly. I'll give you an example. So uh, when we started off, so today, Bandwidth is a company that provisions telephone numbers and the software that enables them for companies like Microsoft and Google and Zoom and, and Uber and people like that. That's, that's what we do now. That's not where we started at all. Right. Uh, we start off with something completely different. At Bandwidth, we started off to be an Expedia, but the business internet access. And every step along the way, we got feedback from customers about what they really wanted to see and what they really want to get from us. At the very beginning, we just went ahead and sent off leads to different carriers. And then we came to understand that that uh, some of the customer service from these carriers wasn't great. So we brought that in-house. We became a reseller. Then we became facilities-based on the data side. But then we heard back from our customers, actually, if we're going to be bringing a circuit into our office, we'd like to be able to save some some money and has some of those channels be for voice and some of them for data. And so we got that in. And then we heard from them actually would love to be able to get some services around that, some features. And so we launched voice over IP and then we went ahead and found more ability to innovate on the voice side. And then that kind of led us to a place where we're completely different now. And yet at every time we've stayed in sync with this mission of helping our customers to unlock remarkable value. But it's always with these very quick customer feedbacks about what they're looking for and then endeavoring to be nimble and lean. And rather than us being willful about what we think customers should get, we try to be faithful to hearing what they want. And that's important because the other thing you allude to is kind of you find this in this movie uh, called Field of Dreams. And it's, you know, if you build it, they will come. No, 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 they won't. If you build it, they likely will not come. You have to find out what they want and you have to deliver that to them. Right. Love that. And I love that, you know, that reminds me of what you've said at Bandwidth about a lot of the good to great stories. You know, the companies that were good, but they didn't achieve greatness because they didn't innovate with the market. They didn't put the customers first. They didn't build long-term success. And just to hear a snippet of your story around that is is super exciting. So let me ask you a question then. Within that innovation and the, and the growth curve and, and you know, the product differentiation you've been on, have you managed to maintain the values that you started with? Yes. So the foundational values are uh, faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And uh, that was, um, you know, David and I got together. We said, we want to be intentional about corporate culture. But if we're going to be intentional about our corporate culture, it needs to mirror who we want to be as individuals or it won't have integrity and it won't have staying power. And so instead of having these aspirational video uh, values of, I don't know, we want to change the world or something, something like that, not that any of those things are bad, 
um, we knew that we just wanted to keep on coming back to what would give us life within this context of where we'd be spending 10 to 12 hours a day. So faith first right. and family, then work and then fitness. And I could expand on each one of those if, if, if anybody ever wants. But the key thing for us is that not only did that allow us to be able to have a corporate culture that had integrity and some longevity to it, but it also created for us a great opportunity to be able to tell our own personal stories to new employees that came in and said, and we would be able to say, listen, you know, you're coming into this company. Here's its history. Here are our foundational values. And faith is the most important thing, which doesn't mean that you need to have a Christian faith. But it does mean that it's in, it, it is helpful, we think, for you to understand the story and that the founders of this company see this as an opportunity to honor God with all of our talents, giftings, and experience. And so we want right. you to know, too, that you have an opportunity to bring all that you are to the office. So we are, we want to, we don't want to just be about manufacturing, as I said before, about the manufacturing distribution of widgets. We want to be able to have a collection of employees here, team members that can bring their whole selves to work and, and where we endeavor to understand each other's stories, to be able to love each other well, to be able to recreate well. We've got on the fitness side, we've got the champ, uh, citywide champion ice hockey team and basketball team and ultimate frisbee team we entered a team into the race across america during cycling race and won it but we want to be able to celebrate the entirety of somebody and we want to do that through story our own personal story right if we just bring our corporate selves to work that's not sticky and that's not fun i want to know what makes dan you know tick and, and I don't want to be presumptuous or prescriptive on what Dan needs to believe, but I want to know what Dan does believe. What are the things that motivate him? What gives him joy? And so creating that type of a culture that's not prescriptive, not presumptuous, but is based on narrative and storytelling, um, I think it leads to the stickiness that I think is so important for a company that's looking to retain and promote their employees. That's brilliant. You know what? One of the things I love about what you've said there, Henry, is that so often we look to programs or platforms to create stickiness, you know, employee engagement programs, you know, perk, perks and platforms, but you're talking about story and bringing a whole self that supersedes processes and platforms and programs, which are all important things to, you know, to keep the ship moving on. You know, you need that, but storytelling is a different level and it's bringing your whole self into it, which I think is brilliant. And I'm going to steal that idea if you don't mind. Yeah, so not my idea. <laughs> just so you know, I want to just um, spend a couple of moments just drilling down into some of your leadership journey, Henry, because obviously we've spoken quite a lot around, you know, the bigger space you're involved with than the company side. But, you know, as any leader that's walked a journey knows, it's a series of mountaintops and valleys, sometimes in equal measure and sometimes in, in different measures. So tell me about some of those key um events or even people that have been instrumental on your journey you know if you were to peg peg your journey around key events or key moments what would some of those be well the the um there are a couple that come to mind one was uh early on in the company so we we have this um these foundational values of course of faith family work fitness and so early on it was very clear for a company that works in bandwidth that we were not going to do business with spammers or the adult entertainment business and so we uh, i remember early on at a uh, very early on at our company we were really um we probably had our lowest cash balance 
um, we had uh, the biggest circuit that was ever going to close uh, closed. And I remember, I remember what it felt like. I remember what it felt like to close the deal because David is a former Marine and gave me a high five and my hand almost still hurts from that. I remember <laughs> that feeling. And uh, we ended up finding out in provisioning that indeed it was for the bad guys, just for the adult entertainment folks. It was an OC3 circuit, which did even today, 20 years on, it's just a gargantuan circuit. It was going to be a big payday. And um, so we had an ethical dilemma. Our ethical dilemma, right. of course, was not whether we install the circuit or not. A company whose fa- founders are about faith first and then family, then work in the, you just, you can't, you can't help the really bad guys. It, it, pornography is discouraged, a scourge in society. So you can't do that. Our ethical dilemma was whether we pay the sales rep or not. You know, see, the sales rep had been working on this deal for right. like two months. They'd done all the things we trained them to do. He, he and his family were just, you know, expecting and waiting. You know, when we, you know, I, right after I gave David a high five, I gave this guy a high five. And so at a point in time where we pretty much had the lowest cash balance in our company, we paid the biggest commission check we'd ever paid. The sales wow. rep had done their job. They'd gone through all the questionnaires. They'd done the research and all that kind of stuff and had no idea that this was going to be for the entertainment business. It was in the name of a conglomerate. They had other things going on, but in this specific circuit. So we changed the compensation policy after that, to be clear. But for that, uh, we paid the biggest commission check. From that point on, we were the fourth fastest growing privately held company in the country over five years running without receiving outside capital, which is our second lesson, which was uh, David and I, uh, decided that we needed money. We needed to raise money. So we came out to where I live now out here in um, Menlo Park, um, Palo Alto area and went up and down Sand Hill Road where all the big venture capital funds are. And uh, over the course of time, over two and a half years of trying to raise money, we went over 40 in venture raises. We were never able to raise any venture capital. Wow. It's just an amazingly long, hard slog. And it was one of the reasons why we started Sovereign's Capital. We wouldn't talk about our faith or our cultural values on the first visit, but second or third visit, we would. We'd say, look, you know, you know, we're, we have this faith-driven culture and don't get us wrong. We're going to hire the best person for the job, but it might mean like we pray before board meetings. And at least in, you know, 22, 23 year, you know, years ago in Silicon Valley, that was, people didn't know what to do with that. And I think that was one of the reasons that they probably said no. There are other reasons they could have said no. But that time... Um, was very, very difficult, very, very hard. And so, um, but God taught us a tremendous amount of lessons through it. Now, on one hand, on the business side, it was the importance of cash flow. And when we invest in companies today, most of them do not understand the importance of cash flow. Days sales outstanding, days payable outstanding. They run their models based on Excel spreadsheets and they take the month end cash, put it over to starting cash, but they don't understand the irregularity that happens a lot of times between customer receipts and when they have to pay vendors. Right. Incredibly important. We learned that. We had to learn that. We also had to grow slower. We also had to focus on delighting our customer. Every customer we had became our marketing because we didn't have a marketing budget. So if we sold ABC company, ABC company needed to refer in other deals for us to be able to get business because we didn't have that type of marketing thing. That taught us a great discipline. And when you heard me at the beginning part of this talk about this importance of delighting your customer, we had to learn that. Uh, We would not have learned that if we had raised any venture capital, but it also taught us something that was really, really valuable. And because all of those lessons we needed to learn because they ended up allowing us to have a successful business. Um, we would have learned all of those anyway, 
Um, but a good lesson, uh, because we'd wasted so much time was that, um, David and I were being really, really willful during that time. We would pray before we go into a venture capital meeting that we'd walk out with a $20 million term sheet, but we were never praying and fasting about whether we should be raising money to begin with. We were being willful. It's kind of like Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel before going off the battle. He didn't. This was a season in which David and I were being willful. And through God's grace and mercy, he didn't allow us to be successful. And yet, we continued to bang our head against the wall to try to raise capital because we thought that was the right thing. That does not mean that an entrepreneur shouldn't be persistent at times and shouldn't continue to try and try. The lesson there is, I can tell you from my own experience, was that that was a season in which I was not seeking God. I wasn't right. seeking God. And again, trying to figure out whether we should be raising money to begin with. And that's uh, that was the second big thing. So the first one is, is that sticking to your values and loving on your employees and making some hard decisions is really important because everybody in the company saw us pay this commission check and saw that we are about, we are about taking care of them. And that was important. And even though a reasonable person could say, well, listen, you know, we're not going to get paid. So you can't get paid. And I know the comp plan doesn't read that way, but surely you must understand now we erred on the side of the employee. And that set a, and God bless that. And the second one was, gosh, you know, am I being willful? Am I being faithful in this season? So that's, as we've now launched the Faith Driven Entrepreneur series and, uh, and movement, uh, that of course is one of the marks, faithful versus willful. So good. So good. Brilliant. And I'd love to unpack that more, but I feel like we could be here another hour. So I'm going to move on, Henry. Let me ask you that. So with those lessons and with your, with the journey and your experience, what are some of those keys that you carry in your personal life? What are some of those those kingdom keys? Some of those 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 things that are, are imprints in your life that you that you carry along the journey? Well, uh, I really believe that being an entrepreneur, or business owner, is an opportunity to commune with the living God. So you have to be in sync with God. You have to. Um, and just early on, I just remember I learned that from the season of being willful versus faithful that I can't afford to be two degrees off in my life or my entrepreneurial journey. It just is time. It's just wasted. I mean, you think about the Israelites that are just, it was an 11 day. They could have done that whole thing in 11 days. They could have gone from Egypt. They could have gone to the promised land. It would take them 11 days. It took them 40 years. So, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to be better than that. And you've got it. The only chance to doing that is just being faithful, being faithful and being obedient. And I can't be faithful and obedient if, unless I'm in God's word every single day. So right. I, uh, I do the Nikki Gumbel Bible one year app and I love it. Um, in the past, I've done day, daily Bible studies with friends every single day. I've got to be in God's word. I've got to pray and I'm a lousy prayer. That's something that hopefully in my next decade I'll get better at, but I need to pray. And then the other thing that's really important is that I need to be surrounded by other Christ followers that can help me understand my blind spots. They can help me to understand whether I'm being willful or if I'm being faithful. They can help me to just ask me the questions about how do I know that I'm in sync with God's will. And sometimes I don't know. Um, I step out in faith, believing that he'll bless it, but I need to go ahead. I need to have this community around me that 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 holds me accountable because otherwise I'd, I'd be lost. Yeah, awesome. Love that. So 
on that journey of walking with people, you know, both personally and, um, you know, and reading and seeing people, what leaders do you look up to or have you learned from? So I've, uh, I love, uh, I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor here in the States in New York city. Yeah. It's a great author and, and uh, many of uh, your folks will know him. Uh, I love the joy from Nikki Gumbel. I love, yeah. I love the joy of Nikki Gumbel. I love the way that he has uh, this emphasis on just being really uh, mindful of sin in our lives. That's really helpful because uh, I can go off the rails real. I can go real easily. And so if I don't pray every day, the Our Father, lead me not into in temptation, but deliver me from evil. If I don't pray that, if I'm not conscious of it, if I'm not trying to root out the sin in my life, then I'm in trouble. So I love Nikki Gumbel and his ability to do that. Um, I'm grateful for the way that guys brought some incredible partners in my life. I, you know, Tom Hahn, uh, uh, was, uh, I partnered with him in this energy derivatives business. We had uh, David Morkin at Bandwidth, Luke Rausch at Sovereign's Capital, and now Justin Foreman with what we do at FDE and FDI. Um, uh, they're make, uh, just incredible inspirations and encouragements for me. And then it's, it's, it sounds hokey, but it's the entrepreneurs all around me. It's the entrepreneurs that I can encounter in my ministry. I, uh, uh, recently, I've been incredibly encouraged by entrepreneurs that I've met in, in Nigeria. Nigeria can be a hard wow. place. And a Nigeria is known for you know, being a place with corruption and bribery and scams and stuff like that. But uh, man, there are, some, there are some really, really serious Christ followers. They completely get... The biblical message of generosity uh, completely understand their call to create, and when I encounter them, that's a great encouragement. When you, when you find a, a faithful entrepreneur in a difficult marketplace, that's just it stands up to corruption, that loves on people in a way that's completely culturally different. You know, in the UK and America, everybody's got a corporate social responsibility program, right? I mean, it's kind of you know, right. ESG is kind of like everybody kind of does that, and and you know, you don't have it's not necessarily that countercultural, man. And some of these emerging and frontier markets, it's hard to do that. It is not, you know, it's not. It is countercultural, and and um, and when I see that, I get great inspiration. And sometimes it's entrepreneurs half my age. Amazing. One of the things I'm um, I'm excited about Henry and here in the UK is just seeing different organisations beginning to come together to form a bigger picture to really begin to sort of work together, collaborate, pray, and say, okay, God, what could happen in the country? If we work together, if we dreamed a dream bigger than ourselves, if we laid down our own agendas and said, what is the bigger picture here? And we're seeing some phenomenal things, and, and, and Ruben has been, been instrumental in bringing that together, and, and, and you have as well. And, and, and so, you know, there's the huge excitement. Was there, is there, there's a gra I say huge excitement. We're English and we're British, right? So the excitement's very, very <laughs> tempered and very measured, you know. When I say huge, it's a wry smile. But, yeah. you know, we're kind of, we're excited about what's happening here in the UK and that, that network coming together. But how do you see this, the, the, the sort of faith-driven space right now? How do you see it globally? Well, I see that like I, we we talked about before, Aslan is on the move, and I love hearing about what's going on in the UK. And there's something really, really encouraging, isn't there? When a number of us get together with a common mission and common purpose, and, and, and endeavor That's to understand right. that you know entrepreneurship can be lonely, but it doesn't need to be, and it can be invigorating and encouraging. And the encouragement that is 
the reinforcement that comes from that is just, it's a beautiful thing. It's because God created, we're all his image bearers. And so when I get a chance to, to talk to you on a podcast like this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm communing with the living God. I'm, I'm talking to another one of his image bearers. He's seen another part. You're seeing another part, another element, another dimension, another facet of the work that God is doing in the marketplace. And that's awesome. And it's invigorating. And it's encouraging. And, um, and that's, that's this beautiful thing. I mean, we are a group of entrepreneurs around the world that have a singular purpose of knowing God and understanding that we are sinful and fallen and left our own devices on our own will probably be, be lost. But together, if we can come, you know, come together, encourage each other along this common DNA, and and you know, we think that the marks might be a good you know, proxy for some of those things, the, the the call to create the identity in Christ, being faithful versus willful, being joyfully generous, ministry and word, ministry and deed, excellence, things like that. That um Gosh, it's just, it's more fun. It's more fun. We have more joy. We have more joy. And we get a sense that God is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I wanted you guys to be able to encourage each other. I wanted you guys to hold each other accountable. I wanted you all to go to spur each other on to loving and good things. Awesome. And, and on, a, on a very practical note, you're coming to the UK at the end of the month. Is that right? End of April, I think 26, 27. Indeed. I cannot wait. I'm an Anglophile. I lived in London for a couple of years. I love it there. I love the rice miles. I love, I just, I love, I love the UK. I really do. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe awesome. it's a, you know, my family comes from, maybe it's just this, you know, guy just drawing me back in, but we'll be there at Holy Trinity Brompton, I think April 26th for a big faith-driven entrepreneur event. And so we can actually be together. We can worship together. We can encourage each other. We can pray for each other. I can't wait. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And and last question, Henry, I know you've got to go, you know, see, you know you, you've got a, a big day ahead of you, big day of sport, as we said earlier as well. So just looking back at your life so far and your leadership journey so far, what's one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? Well, it's kind of top of mind because I just wrote my middle son just turned 18. And so I wrote him a note and to try to encourage him on. Um, so um, I should be more brief with this, but Albert Einstein said that the most incredible thing ever was this concept of compounding return. And a good friend of mine, Josh Kwan, has a, a Christian take on that. And that is that if we can get into the distance, instead of just investing early and seeing the compounding return that comes from investments left alone. If instead we can understand what is, how that applies to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and time in God's word, that's important. The other one is that um, just it's being incredibly vigilant for sin in our lives and just looking to root it out. The lingering impacts of sin, for, for, you know, there's a doctrine of graces and it's incredibly important. But if we can have the right type of spiritual disciplines and the avoidance of sin and the accountability that comes, um, we stand to have that much more of a fruitful life of knowing God. We can always come back. We know about the we know about the story of the thief on the cross, right? But um, there's something much more beautiful of being able to help each other, and this is where this daily accountability comes from in terms of close friends, and just trying to just root out the causes of sin and to try to live lives that are as holy as possible. And that just delivers just that much more joy. The fleeting pleasures of sin. And I, I, I say this, I'm an adult convert. I didn't come to faith until 28. But just um, just the 
just a, a faithful obedience in the same direction, starting early on with the spiritual disciplines. I'll leave it at that. Awesome. I feel like you've left that there on a cliffhanger. There kind of needs to be a part two to unpack those disciplines and unpack that as it goes along. But Henry, it's been so awesome just to hear some of your story. Thank you for sharing so so openly and so humbly. And and thank you for everything you do in the in the global entrepreneur space. And yeah, look forward to to seeing you in April, at the end of April, and, and for the rest of the journey. Dan, thank you. I'm encouraged by you and the way you're seeking them out, encouraging others to do the same. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To find out what we're up to and join the community, simply look us up at wonderfulleaders.com. See you there.